Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 191 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Man, I'm excited about today's interview. Um, a lot of you know Christine Kane, an amazing leader. She has done so much around the world in freeing people from human trafficking and being a voice for women in leadership and also being an incredible just communicator, inspirer, encourager, and preacher. And I'm so thrilled to have her on. As I hinted at last week, what I didn't know is that she's a listener to this podcast. She started telling me about the episode she enjoyed. And Christine, welcome. It's a thrill to meet you. It's a thrill to uh, be able to interview you. And we talk about some really cool stuff. Actually, I think my favorite part of the interview is when Christine opened up about um, just a really difficult season in her life. And tell me if you can't relate to this. A lot of the time we think, you know, heroes like Christine Kane or, or some of the, you know, bigger names in Christian leadership, we think they must not have any problems. Like I've got so many problems and it would be nice to be them and not have any problems. And again, when you've been around leaders like that, it's like, man, you have no idea. You have no idea. And I think what you'll find is a kindred spirit and someone who just like you, just like me, has got to battle through some of the really tough stuff in life and in leadership. And that's why one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons I love today's interview so much. So you're really going to enjoy that. Also, I want to let you know, all of us have design needs. I do. Um, I can't, I'm surprised, actually, at how often in the church and even in this little organization, um, I've just got design things from like business cards to websites to logos. Like, let's talk about logos. Every time you're branding artwork for a new series or that kind of stuff, like where do you come up with the concepts? And uh, maybe you have outpunted your coverage on that as a designer. We can all be amateurs on our computer, but let me tell you about Design Crowd. Design Crowd is a company, a website that helps thought leaders and entrepreneurs outsource or actually crowdsource custom logos, business cards, and web designs from designers, professional designers around the world. They have, get this, 600,000 designers globally. Are you ready? And they're ready to work for you. So here's how it works. Uh, you go to designcrowd.com slash carry. All right, that's our landing page. You post a brief description of the design you need, just quick, and then uh, Design Crowd goes to work. 600,000 people see it. Literally within days, you will get 60 to typically 100 different designs from designers around the world. So all of a sudden, instead of like, oh, should I go with this company? Do they produce good work? You get like dozens, if not 100 options to choose from. You're like, I love this one. You choose it and then approve payment to the designer. How's that? I mean, that that's pretty cool. And because you're a listener of this podcast, you get a $100 VIP offer from Design Crowd. The way to claim that is to go to designcrowd.com slash carry. So that's D-E-S-I-G-N crowd.com forward slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y. Or the other way to do it is to simply enter the discount code carry when posting a project on Design Crowd. So make sure you check that out. Hey, the other thing I've, I've, I'm super excited about that's coming out soon, and I want you to be among the very first in on it, is I've got a brand new resource coming out called The Art of Better Preaching. So I've been communicating for 25 years on the weekend, and I partnered up with a really good friend of mine. His name is Mark Clark. He leads Village Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, very different style than me, um, I, but I got to tell you, he is an incredible communicator. He wrote The Problem of God. You'll know him. He's been on the podcast a few times. He'll be back next month. 
and leads a church of about 5,000 people in four locations in Western Canada, which in any context is amazing. In Canada, that's stupid incredible. And he is a phenomenal communicator. And so he and I partnered up together and we put this new course together called The Art of Better Preaching. And so what I'd love you to do is be the first in. It's not available right now, but we'd love to get you in on exclusive discounts, insider privileges, you know the whole deal, how we do things. Go to theartofbetterpreaching.com and join the wait list today because that's coming down the pipe soon and I would love for you to be among the first in. That's theartofbetterpreaching.com. Be one of the first to hear about everything and get insider exclusives as we get ready to launch that brand new resource this summer. So, hey, I just want to thank all of you two who have come up to say hello at Rethink Leadership. I've done some coaching recently and right now as you listen to this, me and my wife are going to be in Australia. We're doing the Global Leadership Summit Plus in Australia and uh, in New Zealand. I just want to thank all of you for coming up to say thanks for this. Thanks for the resources. It means so much. So do your ratings and reviews. Leave one on iTunes. And uh, speaking of Australia, um, here's somebody who's from that country who now lives in the United States. My conversation with the one and only Christine Kane. Well, Christine Kane, welcome to the podcast. It's such a thrill to have you. Okay, I could, I'm just so honored. I mean, I listen to you every week, so I feel like you're my best friend. You just don't know it. That's crazy. You just told me that. And I'm like, I kind of thought you didn't even know who I was. So I'm still in that category. So thank you so much, Christine. That means the world to me. Hey, it's my honor. I learned so much. I do. And I love all your blogs and all your points because then um, I take them and I give you credit once and then it's what I always said. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) That's funny. And sometimes, you know, it's funny how you get into your own skin because another another interview I did today is with Danielle Strickland, who I'm sure you know. And Danielle is just the consummate storyteller and she's telling me about storytelling. And I'm like, it's just all bullet points to me, man. Like, I wish I could tell stories like you, but isn't that the skin we live in? We all wish we were someone else. Totally, totally. (laughs) Uh, Listen, it is so great to have you. And congratulations, you got a brand new book called Unexpected, which I'm really excited about. And um, why don't we start here? Because you start the book talking about two personal difficult situations you had. One, your dad's passing from cancer, and one, your own diagnosis a few years ago. Can you walk us through those moments? Because that's a side of the leader that we often don't see is like the personal valleys. Sure. You know, I think my dad um, died of lung cancer when I was 19. So that was, you know, 32 years ago now. And um, then about three years ago, I had a diagnosis with thyroid cancer. For a couple of weeks, we weren't sure what it was. I had a a lump on my left-hand side of my throat. I had definitely um, nodules on and uh, nodules. And then I had a thyroid cancer on on my thyroid, but we didn't know whether this other growth, there was a growth between my larynx and my trachea, so right on my voice mm. box. And, you know, for what I do uh, for a living, it was, um, it, it's the last diagnosis that you ever want is like, hi, there's a growth, you know, right there on your voice True. box. And uh, like anyone, what triggers, if you've had an experience, a bad experience with something, even if it was 30 years before, uh, that's the only thing you know. And cancer was in my home, you know, um, and I walked it through. And I think that's why I wanted to make sure that I started the book going, it's not that I'm unaware of what it can do and the pain and the pain that it caused my family, my mother, the loss. Um, but 
the whole book, and I think even as we're talking to leaders and ministers mostly, that I think in the day in which we live, there is so much cray-cray stuff going on all around the world that you get, we have the opportunity to either um, approach it from a place of fear or a place of faith. And I think I had that moment of how am I going to approach this diagnosis? And, you know, for those that know my story at 33, I found out I was adopted. I didn't know until I was 33. So again, I'm in this moment of getting this devastating news, which welcome to leadership. I mean, in, yeah. in terms of like whatever it is, whether you're leading a church or you're leading a ministry or an organization, um, every day is full of moments where you are going to get some news about something that you were not expecting. So I think in that moment, what you truly believe is revealed on the inside of you. And I think what it shows you is whether in this moment, am I, uh, have I been trying to control my life and did I have some sort of unrealistic expectation of God or um, do I really trust God? So the fact that this news is unexpected to me, it's not unexpected to God. So how am I going to navigate this in faith, even when I'm feeling a degree of fear? How do we move forward? Now, I, you know, I think you've nailed us there, Christine, because we nobody likes bad news. Nobody likes that. But you, in your book, you talk about how when you were young and your dad passed away, it sent you into a spiral. But you had a very different response now, you know, years later as a woman who got your own diagnosis. Can you explain that to us? Can you talk us uh, uh, to us about the spiral it sent you into before and then what's happened more recently with how you handle unexpected sure. news? And I think I had so much unresolved pain and hurt in my life back then. You know, I'd come um, out of 12 years of abuse and brokenness. Mm. I was very, very challenged, I think, about my own gender identity. That's what comes with, I think, just 12 years of abuse and and shame and guilt and condemnation and a whole lot of that sort of stuff. So when when I didn't have any kind of strong relationship or faith journey with Jesus, then my dad dying was just the final nail in the coffin, for want of a better phrase. So it just sent me, I had no mechanism, I had no foundation on which to rest on. So I just spiraled out of control, developed so many patterns of destructive behavior, wrong relationships, just stuff that is a byproduct of all of that. Well, here I am now 30 years later, now walking with Jesus, um, having been on my own faith journey, leading an organization, married, a mother. And I think I have had a lot more time to build a trust relationship with Jesus to understand that I haven't been exempt from trials. I mean, in fact, I don't know why even as Christian leaders we would think that there wouldn't be trials or suffering because Jesus didn't say if. He said when. When trials Mm, come. Yeah. Uh, And he actually even says be of good cheer. And so I think sometimes when we are of good cheer, people go, hang on a minute, Christine. Are you just a happy, clappy Christian? Are you just shallow? Are you just – you're just one of those prosperity people, Christine. How? And I'm like, hang on a minute. I've come through 12 years of abuse. I've had to fight for this. I found out I was adopted. I had a cancer diagnosis. I've had personal betrayal like everybody else. I've had to – come through the ranks of what is it to be a woman in ministry over the last 30 years. And, and you know, so I've had plenty mm-hmm. of trials, plenty of challenges, plenty of suffering, but I have learned to fight 
from a place of victory and faith rather than from a place of defeat and victimhood and negativity. And I think the lens through which you look at life determines how you lead. And so, you know, we had 12 spies that went into the promised land. They were all leaders. Ten leaders came back with a neg- They saw the same thing. But 10 came back with a negative report, two had a positive report. And really what the whole message of Unexpected is for leaders is to say, come on, could we possibly go into the promised land, see the giants, because the world is cray-cray, politically, economically, socially, morally, the world is cray-cray. But I am stunned over the last three years at how many leaders I've seen shaken and waver over things that have happened externally as if somehow God is off the throne. I'm like, Jesus is still on the throne. (laughs) And um, can we all just uh, actually look at this through a lens of faith and go, yep, there's giants in the land, there's challenges ahead of us, but in and through Christ, we are well able. And I think what our world is looking for, Kerry, is a bunch of leaders that would say we are well able. It's hard. There's giants. There's pain, there's suffering, but we are well able. And I think they're looking for that kind of strength and courage and confidence. I'm glad you're thinking about it through the personal lens, but also through the macro lens, the political global situation, because I think you're right. In the last three years, it does feel like a lot of leaders think that the world has become unhinged, that particularly Christian leaders, and that God is off the throne as though nobody has ever read Greco-Roman history. Like, you know. (laughs) Like, do, you ever, do you know about Caligula? Do you know about Nero? He Herod? Was proud, right? And I'm like, this is nothing compared to what's coming. Is anybody reading Revelation? Is anyone? Yeah. So we're going to freak out right now. What hope is there for the future? Why do you think so many leaders feel, whether it's personal or whether it's political, social, economic, that, that when things don't go well, it's as though God has betrayed us, that God has let us down, or that God is not in control. Why do you think we we so often fall for that lie? I think it's because we have an unrealistic expectation of God, and, and in many ways, is that somehow whoever sold out to a theology that the sign of God's favor is that all your ducks are in a row and you can control everything and there's safety and security and everything's okay— um, either hasn't been reading the Bible. I don't know what parallel universe yeah. living in, but we <laughs> live in a fallen world. And the fact is that you and I, and everyone listening to this, is not a product of time, but a product of eternity. God has plucked us out of eternity, positioned us in time, and given us gifts and talents for the purpose of serving our generation. And so he says in the book of Acts, you know, that he picks the times and season he puts us in. So God knew what would be happening on the earth in 2018, politically, economically, socially, environmentally, morally. It's not like God just fell off the throne and went, oh, no, Peter, what are we going to do? Did you know who was going to get elected? Did you see what's happening on Wall Street? I had no idea. It's, like, I mean, and yet if his leaders are acting like this is all this big unexpected shock to God rather than going, hang on a minute. The scripture says only those things that can be shaken will be shaken so that those things that cannot be shaken will remain. Well, all that has happened in the last three years is a big shaking has happened. And so a lot of the unrealistic expectations, dare I say, illusions we may have had when it comes to our leadership, our expectation of God, um, 
the, the fallen world in which we live, I think God has just shaken those up and said, okay, is your trust of me greater than your need to control your circumstances? And I think leaders are the ultimate mm. control freaks. And we just think if I can't control this, somehow God's out of control and God's going, no, I'm trying to replace the fact that you're trying to control me, stop trying to put me in a box and start trusting me. And I think for a leader, one of our greatest challenges is trusting God rather than trying to control God. Mm. So on the macro level, I agree. I mean, we can all vote in an election. We can make responsible financial decisions. But often, I mean, you're talking to tens of thousands of leaders who are either in the church world or the corporate world. It's like my company's falling apart. My church hates me. Um, I'm dealing with kids that are out of control or, you know, they've got a diagnosis of their own, whether it's cancer or whatever it happens to be, and they're discouraged and they feel like maybe God has just led them da- let them down too many times. What, what would you say to leaders who are feeling that way right now? Yeah. And I think there is no doubt that, uh, our greatest struggles are internal, the disappointment, the discouragement. I think no wonder the Lord said to Joshua, only be strong and very courageous because that internal strength um, is the thing that we all need because I think that's the thing that's going to take us to the finish line. So if the enemy can steal our courage, um, and that's what discouragement is, or, you know, put disappointment in us. I think who we surround ourselves with is crucial. What we Mm. listen to is crucial. See, sometimes we don't have the strength to carry ourselves to Jesus. We need someone to put us on a mat and drop us through the roof um, to the feet of Jesus. And I I never pretended that I could do this alone. I know a lot of people sort of see me and go, my gosh, you know, Chris Kane, her personality type, um, she must be so strong and let's go charge hell with a water pistol. And I'm like, if you only knew the people that I have around me, I think what causes us somehow to oftentimes to lose, to stop fixing our eyes on Jesus and perhaps um, mistake our disappointment with people or circumstances with a disappointment with God, because people will betray you. People, And one of the most painful chapters yeah. for me to write in the book was actually not the chapter about um, cancer. It was the chapter about the personal betrayal that I went through uh, the year before last. That pain I thought was going to kill me. And I think um, as leaders, the the uh, challenge to maintain and sustain a tender heart and thick skin is not easy at all. And I think that more we walk, the longer we walk with Jesus, um, you know, someone has got to get really close to you to betray you. And I think, you know, I love Eugene Peterson says in the psalm, when someone kicks you in the gut or you and you feel like you've lost your wind, they've got to be close to you to kick you in the gut. To yeah, be able to kick you, you've got to have close proximity. And I think um, if I could say the only thing that I could realistically say in the last five years came close to taking me out, like literally where I wanted to give up. It was this personal betrayal, way more than cancer, way more than maybe not hitting some ministry yeah. goals, way more than, you know, but it was that because I didn't know, you know, David said, if it was my enemy, <laughs> I could have handled it. But this was my brother that I used to go up to the house of the Lord with. So I think when it happens with people that are in your inner circle that you're either doing ministry with or life with, when you go, I just did not expect that, that you know, um, it so deeply wounded me. I went to counseling. Uh, mm-hmm. two hours a week for six months because I didn't even know how to process this. I mean, it was like uh, I can charge the hill, rescue the victims of sex trafficking, you know, lead 14 officers in 12 countries, hundreds of staff, multi-million dollar budgets, but 
kick me in the gut from a personal friend, it nearly took me out. Can to the extent that you can talk about it, can sure. you walk us through that? Yeah, I just uh, I, I think you know I want to be careful, but yeah, I understand. Is that I think there's been so many challenges the last couple of years, and I am stunned at maybe how some people have allowed different political processes to impact them when it comes to Christian ministry and life and faith. And I'm like, wow, you mean, you know, because we don't agree here, we're going to go down two separate lines. I think um, I was just... People have been so hurt. And, you know, my spiritual mother's Joyce Meyer, and she often says, hurting people hurt people. And I think mm. I just came up very close. When you're close to someone, if they've been cut, uh, you'll end up being cut if they're, if they're not going to tend to their sharp edges, um, which means we all have to be doing that. Because I think sometimes the the more we walk on in Christian ministry, see, the person out there, they can't really hurt me. If some person yeah. on Twitter writes, yeah. uh, I hate Christine K, I'm not even going to read it. I don't even right. really care. It's in all caps at the end of the day. You're just like, whatever. Yeah. If you're close to me, though, you can cut me because you have got such access. And I think in this case, um, I feel like in a sense, I was, uh, this person was so hurt and I was the closest person to them that the only place that they really could vent a lot of that hurt was I, be- I became collateral damage. I think that's probably the best way to phrase it. Sure. And um, when someone's in deep pain themselves, it's kind of like, you know, your kid, um, if they've been hurt and they're having a tantrum on the kitchen floor and they're kicking you and they're kicking the refrigerator, it's about their pain. It's not about what they're kicking. And I feel like in this case, it was there was no way to reason because it was about this person's pain. It wasn't about anything I was doing. And so thank God for good Christian counseling because I really had to process this with someone that could help me see that because with my background and my history of abandonment and rejection and abuse and adoption, I'm only ever one thought away from defaulting into such a shame-based nature of what have I done and what did I do and going this internal dialogue that caused me to go down this downward spiral and um, I can really become my own worst enemy. And I say to people, you know, I've done a lot of work um, over the last 30 years, but the reason spiritual disciplines for me, what would cause me to be derailed? It's not how much I do for God. Everyone's like, wow, you do all this stuff. It's what I would stop doing. So if I ever stopped my spiritual disciplines and stopped the things that keep me, my accountability structures, you know, uh, counseling, um, my being in the word, in worship, uh, if I ever stopped that, um, I wouldn't trust myself for a day. You know, (laughs) I really wouldn't. Why... Why do you think it almost took you out? And I'm saying that as one who has felt betrayal very close. And I'm sure there's very few exceptions to that among the leaders listening. Like almost all of us have a story where somebody that we let into that inner sanctum, all of a sudden, you know, surprise, surprise, there's the knife. And sometimes we own part of that, but sometimes you don't own a lot. Like why of all the things that have happened to you, why do you think that was probably the most threatening to your life in ministry? Well, I think, for, I mean, you know, and everyone would have their reason. Part of mine would be so connected to what is my Achilles heel. I mean, I think to be abandoned at birth and then yeah. um, 
to be adopted, but sort of adopted in shame where you're being lied to for 30 odd years, you know, about that. And that's why it was so traumatic for you, right? What it did was it re-triggered a trauma and 12 years of sexual abuse. So the rejection, the abandonment, I think, but again, and again, here I say, this is where it twists in the book. It was a now, it was an unexpected betrayal, yes, but it was also an unexpected invitation from God to heal another layer of my woundedness. And I can tell you, well, now I'm this side of it. Um, I think in many ways, I think my counselor mm. would agree, definitely. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. Um, that for me was the, is the most important now chapter in the book. It, different chapters will resonate with different people, but I know that everything in the book changed when I changed the whole way I wrote that chapter because... I think people will definitely see uh, a different level of transparency, vulnerability um, in that because it was, it's so triggered a past. And I, uh, let me explain to you why, Kerry, because yeah. it happened a couple of months after my mum, my adopted mum uh, died. So I was having my 50th birthday party here in California. I get off the boat, had 150 of my friends over. We were dancing Zorba the Greek. And then I <laughs> turned my phone on. And I've got 26 missed calls from my brother um, that says my mother had died that night in Australia. So you go from, hi, welcome to life, best of times, worst of times, that welcome to our life. That is life personified right there. And I think, um, so on the back of, I lost my mom, which I think then triggered itself, some of the mother wounds, you know, some yeah. other areas of unresolved pain from abandonment. And then um, this person that just was so dear to my heart and very maternal in just the way uh, that she's wired up. So I think what happened was God, it was an invitation from God. So not everything is God sent, but if God allowed it, then I, right. and I believe he is good. And I think this is the argument I keep making in the book that rather than getting stuck in what did I do and God, why did you do this to me? And why did you, it becomes, okay, if you are good, and I would say this out loud every day, if I believe according to Psalm 119, you are good and you do good and there is a track record that you will even work the bad things in my life together for good, I would say, what are you trying to show me through this pain um, and through this deep pain? And then working together with a counselor, I think really helped unpack that. And so God did a much deeper healing when it came to and, and this counselor was a family of origin counselor. So we went right back and did some deeply painful work to do with my mum, linking it right back to the work I'm doing with sex trafficking. And, you know, my biological mother was a 23-year-old unmarried immigrant woman living in immigrant housing in Australia. The man that uh, is the supposed father, my supposed father is a 55-year-old married man. And, you know, there's a 32-year-old age difference. There's a status difference, very much like a lot of the victims of trafficking we help to rescue. But helping to process some of that, my mother's death and then this person's betrayal, um, God did, now, number one, I think just even allowing me to feel that level of pain has deepened my ministry in a whole different way um, over this last year. And then at the end of the year, A21, um, and I received the the Mother Teresa Memorial Award for um, Human Trafficking, the Social Justice Award. And I thought Amazing. it was just like God after all of that work. I'm standing in Mumbai, India with Gandhi's great-grandson giving me this, you know, very uh, prestigious award. And I just thought, God, you are, you're just wild that mm. 
sort of topped the year off with, of all awards, like the Mother Teresa. It was like this, his, I mean, you know, we all have our own way of um, of how we kind of personalise things. But for me, this was a kiss on the cheek from God going, hey, you did a lot of hard work this year and to dealt with a whole lot of mother issues. And Christine, at 51 and a half, in many ways, you've moved into a more mothering role in the body of Christ in your leadership. And um, it was just kind of like I felt a kiss on the cheek from him in that way. So again, it was an unexpected betrayal, unexpected pain, but at the same time, an unexpected invitation from God to a greater level of intimacy. And I think ultimately we will continue to see the fruit of a far more, um, a lot more effectiveness even through my ministry. Well, and I, I, I resonate with that. I mean, after you've been broken, your empathy yeah. increases, your sensitivity increases. How did you and how do you work through that level of pain and that level of hurt while you're leading? Like, how do you do that? You know, you're building the airplane while you're flying it. How do you, how do you do, how did you do that? Okay. Two, uh, great things. The, the first and foremost um, thing that I think it's, it's really important that people know is that um, I lead this with my husband, Nick, who is literally, uh, you need to get him on this podcast one day because when you're talking about leadership, um, the man is stunning. So organizationally, operationally, our um, 14 officers, all of our global staff, he runs everything. He mm. runs all of that. And um, he really even stepped up at another level. And basically, I felt very protected. Um, he just, I did what only I can do. Um, and to the best of the way we could redo some of my schedule, there were some things that uh, he restructured and rescheduled because there was a three-month period, Kerry, that, um, you know, I was almost like in a fetal position, just so, so broken that I, I to, for me to actually get out and speak um, was all I could do. Like, I mean, just to 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 do that by faith um, and with integrity was all I could do. So I just laid low for a while, made sure that um, I was getting the right help. I had two very dear friends that were basically, I mean, I'm telling you, uh, they were that they were the best friends that anyone could be. They were on the phone to me morning, noon, and night, flew in whenever they could. Uh, because there, there was an intense period that I just kind of needed. I, I think they were like, Chris, we just better watch you 24-7 because you're, you're very, very tender and broken. So they really stepped in and um, and then I just kept those counselling appointments even when I didn't want to. And mm. I think that was very, very helpful. And so I knew enough to know that um, I was just going to have to embrace the pain of recovery. I didn't want to at times. And I would <laughs> almost say to God, I feel like you've trapped me because we've been down this road um, at different times. And I know there's no other way forward but embracing the pain of recovery one step at a time. Like when I was healed from my ACL surgery, well, I had to go to the PT every day and cry my way through all of my exercises till I got full movement in my legs. And I wanted to be delivered from this, Kerry. I so did. But God said, no, I'm going to walk you through it, Christine, because most people have to go through the valley of sh the shadow of death. I don't deliver them from it. And um, I just had to really trust him. And it was, um, I don't even know, sometimes when you know more and you, because I, I mean, this is my wheelhouse. This is the stuff I teach in, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and um, 
you're going, I just remember some days thinking, do I really want to do this? And I thought, this is how people must feel when they want to give up. This is how they must, I, I actually now know how somebody must feel when they just think, I, I just don't want to. Like, I, I don't even, th- not only I don't even have it in me, you go beyond the I don't have it in me to I don't even think I want to. Like, you know, yeah. like, I have yeah. reached that place. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing at that level. And, you know, I, I remember uh, I had three months when I burned out that was so dark. And I remember my counselor saying, you will get through this, Carrie, but just remember that some people never do. And remember how bad the pain is because it'll help you minister to them. So I just thank you from share, for sharing from that place. I know, man, I wish we had hours. Um, we have a few minutes left. You've got uh-huh. a very busy schedule. I'm going to honor your schedule. And uh, my team would be furious with me if I did not ask this question, which you've been asked many times. But we got a lot of like working moms listening, a lot of very busy people. And the question they want to know is, how do you get it all done? Because you are a <laughs> dynamo. I mean, I've followed you on on social for years. Everywhere I look, you're flying somewhere, doing something, teaching something, you know, you're writing books, you're rescuing people from human trafficking, you're like, you're all over the place. And you're married, and you're a mom. Um, So spill the secret sauce here, Chris. (laughs) We want to know. I love that. And I love the fact that you've got so many working women um, listening to this too, because, you know, we We propel. I love those women, uh, because I am one. But here's the deal, Carrie. Uh, I feel like the best way to explain this is I don't have a compartmentalized life. Um, I have a very interconnected life. So I'm always a wife. I'm always a mother. I don't stop being a wife or a mother when I grab a microphone or when I'm leading a staff meeting. And I don't stop being that person when I'm a wife and mother as well. My life is interconnected. Um, But, and I, I, I sort of, instead of seeing it as this hierarchy, oh gosh, I've got to get God first and then my husband and then my kids and church. And, you know, it's, I don't have this hierarchical kind of approach to life. I see life like a wheel. And um, I have many spokes to that wheel. I'm a wife, hmm. I'm a mother, I'm a boss. Um, I mean, you know, I author, I've got so many different facets, different spokes of the wheel, but there's only one hub. And the hub of that wheel is Jesus. And there's only one way that that wheel spins, and that's with the oil of the Holy Spirit of God. And that anointing oil just keeps that wheel spinning. And if I do the things that only I can do, only I can have my own spiritual disciplines, only I can sustain my relationship with Jesus, um, then surely I sense that he keeps that mechanism working well. And if something's out of whack, often in my quiet time through my reading of scripture, um, in my long walks along the beach or whatever it might be, I'll get a sense if there's something in my marriage or something with my kids that I need to focus on or some one of the offices maybe in Bulgaria or South Africa. You know, there's this sort of sense of if I can keep myself, the thing that I labor to do, I labor to enter into that place of rest in Christ. From Mm. that place of rest in Christ, then I'm able to lead really effectively because I'm not leading out of a panic or um, out of the urgent. I'm leading out of a place of rest, of a a spirit that is calm. So we, um, I truly believe it takes a village. 
I have a lot of help, so I don't want any woman to think that I am superwoman because I'm not. I am a supernatural woman because mm. I serve a supernatural God. So I, I want to say that, that there is a degree, there is an X factor, and there should be about all of our lives as, as Christians, where people look at us and go, what is that? Well, that's the supernatural component. I think let's be careful that we're not trying to be a wonder woman, but let's be a supernatural woman. So I do believe uh, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything we could ever ask, hope, or think. I do believe that my I'm not haven't even started yet, that my eye hasn't seen, that my ears haven't heard, that, that, you know, I can't even imagine what God has for me. But I also believe in order, system, structures, and help, and that it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to, um, to help things in place. So I do in my life what only I can do. Only I can be Nick's wife, only I can be the girl's mother. So that has meant for me to be doing what I'm doing, I've, I've had a lot of help. And um, when I couldn't afford it, I had friends that would come in, different friends would come in and just help babysit the kids, clean, or things that I, people that I trusted. Well, then as mm-hmm. um, as I, my life grew and I was able to afford childcare, then um, a non-negotiable was having a really, really good family assistant to help me. Now, for me, it wasn't a sign of my motherhood. My identity wasn't in me changing my baby's diaper. That wasn't a sign of me being a great mother for me. I mean, for different people. So I was like, you know what, Um, in terms of changing a diaper, feeding a kid on a certain time, well, I can have help with those sort of things. Um, And then there are other things that are not negotiable of me spending time. What are the things that I define um, that for my family work best that would say, Chris, this is what makes your daughters feel like I'm their mother. What is important to them? And all the other stuff I get help with. So what is the things that only I can do? You know, a dry cleaner can iron Nick's shirts. So it's not a sign of my uh, wife <laughs> love. <laughs> your wife dumb. Yeah. Uh, but only I can be Nick's wife. So there are certain things that only I can do. So we look at those. At the same when it comes to our offices and our organization, um, no one's going to come and work for us if they're expecting to have a Bible study with me every day because I'm in a different continent every every week. So that's <laughs> not going to happen. Um, but only I can uh, write my books with a team. Only I can prepare my messages. Ultimately, only I can prepare and deliver my daily messages on TV around the world. So there are certain things that this is all I do because that's the only thing that I can do. Um, and everything else, um, I come from a a leadership culture. And so if you see us, we have hundreds of employees, lots of millennials. I'm always raising up young women, men, um, and anything anybody can do better than me, they do. That is a great leadership (laughs) principle, period. It it doesn't matter. Well, we are sadly at the end of our time together today already. A final word, just to any leader listening, if you want to leave them with one thought, what do you want to leave them with? Yeah, really, and I think the ultimate uh, message that I'm trying to convey in a time of such chaos and pain and a cray-cray world, I think we've got to remember that God is sovereign, that God is on our side, that not everything that happens is good, but God is good, and that Mm. God does good, and He will work even the bad things in our lives together for our good and for His glory. I think, you know, every time we put a trafficker in jail, every time we rescue a young woman, and I think of 12 years of abuse and abandonment, I think, I bet the devil wishes he left me alone. All of those bad <laughs> things that happened to me, it's like God has redeemed them. And I feel like ah, Joseph did when he looked at his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, and he said, you meant this for evil against me, but yeah. God meant it for this very purpose. And I think 
I know that we're living in dark times, but the world's always been dark. And greater is he, I want to remind every leader, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And without God, we can scale a wall. We can take on a troop. I want us to believe God for great things. I don't want us to be like the 10 spies full of fear, doubt, and negativity that missed the promise, even though they saw the promise and held the promise. I don't want them to allow discouragement or fear or negativity or doubt to take them out. And it was leaders that kept a generation out of their destiny. So I'm praying this book will speak faith into leaders because the lens at which we look at our giants and our challenges will determine whether we go in and possess our land. And if we don't, it's going to affect a generation after us. I don't know that it's ever been more important that we look at our challenges and our future through the lens of faith so that we can take a generation into the promised land. That's what I'm believing God for. Wow. Christine Kane, thank you so much. The book is called Unexpected. And where's the easiest place for people to find you online? What website should they visit? Uh, I think christinecain.com. You can find me anywhere, all things at Christine Kane. So I'm out there. <laughs> awesome. Christine, thank you so much. Thanks, Kerry. Thank you. Gosh, there's so much energy there, isn't, isn't there? And, and I just, Christine, thanks for being so honest and open and transparent. Um, you could just hear the struggle, even though, you know, it's sometimes it's not appropriate to discuss details and I 100% respect that. Um, but you hear the struggle and I think some of you and me, we just need to know that we're not in this alone. And every leader I know who's done something significant with their life has not had an easy path. I mean, there's always obstacles. So I just want you to stay encouraged as leaders, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, Hey, you're going to face it. Trust God hang in there. We're praying for you. We're cheering for you. We really are. Uh, we're back next week with a fresh episode. A uh, guy who helped me has become a very good personal friend and helped us kick off this podcast in the first year. One of the most downloaded episodes of all time on growing up with gay parents. Uh, Caleb Kaltenbach is back and he's got a brand new book uh, that really gets into the crazy of where culture is going today. This subject I am really interested in. Caleb's got some incredible insights and we're back next week with a fresh episode from Caleb Colton back. Here is an excerpt. Who are we after? Who do we really want? Who, who do we have the most success with? And for us, it's the 36-year-old dad of two. We call him Successful Steve. He loves the appearance of success, but internally he's got all kinds of questions about his worth and his value. And he feels like a failure because his wife's kind of annoyed because he's not the spiritual leader that she wants him to be, but yet she wants him to party on the weekend, but be, you know, Andy Stanley during the week and he's making great money, but he has no margin because he just spends it all. He's got no great financial practices. So he's just got a lot of, he's got a low grade anger. He's got, he's got a drinking problem because it's how he copes. And he, I mean, that guy, there are thousands and thousands of that guy in our community. And we can get our message in front of that guy. We don't have to wait for that guy to get to us. So that's next week. Now, what else is coming up, man? So much, so much. Clay Scroggins is back. And we have a long-anticipated conversation about the digital disruption in church. Now, whether you lead a church or a business, you're going to love this. Jerry Hurley is here. You're like, Jerry, uh, do I know that name? No, but you know Life Church, And he is part of the secret sauce there. Man, what a great interview. Kevin Jennings, who helped me launch this podcast and has helped in so many ways over the last few years, shares marketing secret sauce coming up. Plus, we got Mark Clark, Nancy Duarte, Les McEwen, John Tyson, Max Lucado, Patrick Lencioni, um, Levi Lusco, Rachel Cruz, Daniel Pink, so many more. That 
makes it worthwhile subscribing for free, doesn't it? Because it isn't going to cost you a penny to listen to this. And we want to thank you so much for supporting our partners. Design Crowd is one of them. Make sure when you go for your next design project, make sure that when you go for your next design project, you use designcrowd.com slash carry, that's C-A-R-E-Y, uh, because you'll get a $100 VIP discount. Uh, just for listening to this podcast, they will help you outsource your design needs at a fraction of the price of what it would cost you to do it yourself. So that's designcrowd.com slash carry. Also, hey, if you haven't checked out theartofbetterpreaching.com yet, please do so. Join the wait list. I'm so excited about that resource, which drops early this summer. And uh, I want you to be first in on that one. Thanks so much for listening. Leave a rating, review, share this if it helped you. And we'll be back next week with a fresh episode. My buddy Caleb Colton back. And uh, yeah, I do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.